Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. And Acts chapter 12 is where we pick up our reading this morning. In Acts chapter 12, this is what we read. Now about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, that is Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church." Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. God bless his words. You may be seated. This is a unique passage because persecution kind of flows through the book of Acts, but we haven't seen someone be executed for their faith since Acts chapter 7 with Stephen. And all of a sudden, James, not just any James, but James, the brother of John, James, one of those who was the disciples, James, one of those who was incredibly important to the early church, is executed. And make no mistake about it, when Jane, when, when Herod takes in Peter, when the text says he, he saw that it would be, uh, he saw that the Jews appreciated that he killed James, when, when Herod takes in Peter, he takes in Peter for the intention of killing him, okay? So that's what's happening. Sometimes when we look at the things that are going on in the world around us, the corruption, the bad news we see time and time again, Uh, other ministries and those kinds of things failing and struggling, we might have a tendency to wonder, whoa, is God really in control? And this passage is meant to remind us of this simple statement. God is still in control even when difficulties arise. God is still in control even when difficulties arise. Now, we, if you've been a part of Fellowship Bible Church for any period of time, you know that we try to draw these ideas from the Bible, not simply from our experience. Because sometimes our experiences go up and down, but the Bible's consistent, okay? If you open up Acts chapter 12 tomorrow, you're going to read the same thing that we're reading today. So there's consistency to it. And there's stability there. There's foundational truth there. And so this is what we have. God is still even in control, even when the difficulties arise. This is a passage about what we do when difficulties arise. Now, you may not be going to prison tomorrow for your faith, and you may not have a friend executed tomorrow for their faith, but we still face difficulties. And so if if God is in control at that level, then guess what? We can trust that God is in control at the level of difficulties we face. So let me give you three ideas we're gonna find in the text. Be mindful, be confident, be assured, okay? Be mindful, be confident, be assured. Now when there's difficulties, our tendency is to say, where's God? But I just want to remind you, the Christian has this incredible opportunity to know that the difficulties become purposeful. 
And let me give you diff- how difficulties come in one of two ways. Difficulties can come because of something you did and there's some consequences for what you did, okay? So how many of you have experienced that at some stage in your life? You did something and there were some consequences, so you faced some difficulties. Can I see your hands? Honest people, okay? The rest of you, uh, I don't know what's happening there, okay? We all have experienced some level of difficulty. Have you not ever said in your life, oh man, if only I hadn't done that, okay? And that's because we did something and there were consequences from it. But what you see in Acts are a different kind of difficulty. I might even call it abuse, undeserved. James is just ministering the word of God and he's executed. Peter's just preaching and he's thrown in prison. Sometimes people on the outside of us take advantage of us and that's a difficulty that's really hard to figure out where God is. So here's what you gotta know. You gotta be mindful. Pain and loss aren't random. Even when those circumstances come from the outside at us, they're not random. You say, well, does God cause them? No, we know that God doesn't cause them. Because we can read in James chapter 1 this truth that um, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, because God cannot be tempted, neither tempts he any man. But everyone is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So God's not the cause of the sin. You say, well, we were singing this morning like that God, we were singing this morning um, in that amazing grace song about the fact that the Lord desires good for me. That's right. It's right out of the Psalms, by the way. Uh, John Newton didn't come up with that. Psalm 84 says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked, for the Lord God is a son and a shield, bestows favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly. You say, then why the bad things? Because God is using, as he did in Joseph's life, the bad things Even what someone else intends for evil, God can mean for good. But just know this, your pain, your loss, it isn't random. Like, if I was an atheist, I think this would be one of the things that would bother me the most. That whatever I went through, it'd just be random. That's a problem. I'd much rather say, if I have to go through something difficult, it's purposeful, I just don't know the purpose. And that's what we see here. And we see it, actually, in verse 2. Because this is Herod the king, an abusive king. He laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, killing him with the sword is a language that kind of means that he was claiming, Herod, with all of his unrighteousness, was claiming that James was blaspheming. And so, um, in the Jewish realm, Roman realm, that's how they would have perceived that. Here's my first thought. Corrupt leadership gives the appearance of being in control, but it is not, okay? Corrupt leadership gives the appearance of being in control, but it is not. It's not in control. I would look at that and I would say, wow, Herod is the cause of James's death. But he, that doesn't mean he's in control. He thinks he's in control because he can say, kill this man and that man is killed. But the Bible teaches that God remains in control even of the difficulties in life. Corrupt leadership gives the appearance of being in control, but it is not. When I was in Ukraine, there's corruption in leadership, there's corruption in Russia's leadership, there's corruption in leadership. Um, How many of you believe, okay, this isn't a conspiracy theory, how many of you believe at some time in America's history there's been corruption in America's leadership? Wow, look at all those hands, okay? I'm just telling you, there's corruption in leadership. 
And sometimes we can say, well, what am I supposed to do? There's corruption leadership. I can't do anything. Wait a minute. God is still in control. He's using all of that in some way, and that's not random. By the way, we know this because in Proverbs 21.1, it says, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hand, and he runs it through his hand like rivers of water. Like, God can just do with the heart of the king whatever he chooses to do. In fact, we see here, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Oh, that's tough. Violent hands, literally, it's, it's language that means he grabbed them for the intention of injuring them. There was malice involved. Now, Peter, just for a moment, get this. Okay, Peter is in prison, and he knows why he's in prison. He's in prison to be executed. He's like on death row. That's why he's there. But I want to remind you how Peter now starts to think about suffering and difficulty because he no longer thinks of it as random. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, this is what we read. Oh, let me stop there. Okay, before you start to read that with me, just know this, that when Peter um, has his name changed, remember, you're Simon, but from here on out, I'll call you Peter, Petrus the Rock. When Peter does that, when Peter has that process happen with Jesus, Peter immediately tells Jesus what to do. This is just a reminder, never try to tell Jesus what to do, okay? But that's what Peter does. And Jesus changes his name again. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are thinking the way that man thinks, not the way that God thinks. You say, well, why would Jesus change his name like that? Well, because Jesus begins right in that moment to start to tell the disciples he's going to have to go suffer. And Peter says, whoa, no, no, Lord, not you. You shouldn't suffer. In Peter's theology, he thought that good people don't suffer. Okay. And Jesus says, wait a minute. You're thinking the way that man thinks, not the way that God thinks. You say, wait a minute, that's what Jesus said? That's what Jesus said. Suffering can be purposeful. And you're going to see that in Peter's life. Just hold tight for a second. But notice how Peter writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 3. There we read, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, well, wait a minute, why would I suffer for doing the right thing? You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So this is Peter saying, hey, even if I'm in prison, I'm not troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, just read this with me, it is better to, for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Wait a minute, I have to suffer? That's a part of God's will? Possibly. And that's why I say it's not random, okay? So when you look at corrupt leadership, it feels like it's supposed to be in control, but it isn't. God's still in control, even with suffering. Here's the other idea. Certainty of death brings the fear we try to control, but only God knows our appointment. Certainty of death brings the fear we try to control, but only God knows our appointment. Okay, now, now if there's one thing you knew about Peter, he was always... Uh, Anxious. He was always kind of running ahead. He was always opening his mouth and then inserting his other foot. That's Peter, okay, throughout the, all the Gospels. So um, think about this for a second. He is on death row. James was already killed. A good friend, a disciple of Jesus was already killed. By the way, this whole story has taken place about 10 years after Christ was crucified. So a lot's going on, okay? Peter's already been, uh, James has already been killed. Peter's waiting to be killed, 
And you would think, well, what in the world is he doing? Let me show you what he's doing. Verse 6. Now, what Herod was about to bring him out, that is to execute him, on that very night, Peter was, say it with me. What in the world? Okay. How in the world is he sleeping? Okay. It's his last night on planet Earth. He is, say it with me. Wow. Why? Let me tell you why. Certainty of death brings the fear we try to control, but only God knows our appointment. And Peter knows that God knows his appointment. By the way, Hebrews 9, 27 so it is appointed on a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Appointed on a man once to die. The word appointed there is the word for reservation. I've said this to you before, but if you haven't heard it, I'm saying it again, and I'll say it again and again and again. When it comes to your death and my death, we have a reservation. Okay. Now, you say, well, when is my reservation? I don't know that, okay. but God knows that. Here's the thing. It's not just random. This should give you hope. You say, it's not giving me a lot of hope. I'm getting a little concerned. It should give you hope. Here's why. Because God's in control of that. If you call Olive Garden and you say, hey, I want to take, uh, take my spouse out for dinner. They said, when would you like to come? You say, I don't know, sometime in the next 10 years. What are they going to say? No, 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 we don't work that way. Okay, how do you work? Uh, how, about, how about next year? Can I, can I get a reservation for next year? They're going to say, we don't work that way. How about if I get a reservation for next week? We don't work that way. How about if I could get a reservation for tomorrow? You're getting better. What time would you like to come to dinner? That's a reservation. It's a day. It's an hour. It's a minute. It's a time. This is the point. You and I, like Peter, can rest. We can fall asleep knowing that God knows the time. And we should be active during that time. But we're not anxious or worried about the time. You say, did Peter really know the time? Sure. In John chapter 21, verse 8, right as Jesus is about to ascend up into glory just a few days before that, this is what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And the text is really clear here. Look at this. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. See, so that stretching out a hands thing is how slaves were carried to execution. Um, and after saying this, Jesus said, follow me. And Peter turns around and looks at John, the disciple. It's not here, but that's what happens in the text. Turns around and looks at John, the disciple, and says, hey, 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 what about him? Okay. Like, if you're telling me I'm going to die, is he going to die? Right. The point is this, that Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you were so bold, you thought you could die with me, and you chickened out and ran for the hills as soon as someone asked if you knew me. But the day is coming when you'll be able to sleep even though you think you're dying tomorrow. Now, I don't know if Peter says, chained between two guys, I'm not going to die tomorrow because this isn't how, I, how he interpreted what Jesus said to him, or if Peter, chained between two guys, thinks, I've stretched out my hand, and this is where it's going to happen. Either way, I just want you to know this. He's sleeping. Why? Because he knows God's got the appointment. Okay. You say, well, Phil... If I, have a, if, I have a, if I have a conversation with a doctor this week and he mentions the C word, what am I supposed to do with that? You can exercise wisdom, you can pray, you can do whatever you want, but you need to know that God has your day. Okay? 
and your hour and your minute. And there's comfort in that. You and I don't have to figure that out. There's another idea here. Be confident. Prayers will be answered. Okay? Now, we're told in the text that the church began to pray. When Peter went into prison, they began to pray. And I'm going to teach you something about prayer that you may not have realized before. Here it is. God's answers do not depend on whether we think they're realistic. Okay? God's answers do not depend upon whether we think our prayer requests are realistic. And I'm going to show you this right in the text. So here's what happens. The church begins to pray. Peter's sleeping, okay? And he must be pretty soundly sleeping because the angel's got to kind of kick him in the side to wake him up, okay? Here we go, verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel, say it with me, was what? He thought he was seeing a vision. Peter just saw a vision in Acts chapter 10. He may have said to the angel, hey, where's that thing coming down out of heaven? I'm hungry. Can we get something to eat? Okay. But he doesn't. He doesn't even think it's real. Okay. And, and when you start to see it happen, they walk past one century, past another century. Like, you, you just kind of picture this. Like, like they're walking, and, and Peter doesn't even think it's real, or else he'd say, hey, I can't talk to you because we don't want to wake this guy up. But it is real. It is real. I think sometimes, frankly, we do not ask God for enough. We, we pray and ask God for something that we could do even without his help. Let's stop asking him like that. Let's start asking him things that are impossible. That's what he does. Okay. He does the things that are impossible. You and I should think, well, we can't ask God for that. That's too big. That's too, that's too small. It's too insignificant. It's too big. You can't do it. All of that is, is balderdash. We should just say, we want to do, we want to trust God for what is impossible. God's answers do not depend on whether we think they're realistic. Here's the other thing. God's answers do not depend upon the strength of our belief. That's right. If you grew up in a theology that said, hey, listen, um, you didn't get an answer because you didn't believe enough, okay? I just want to tell you, that person had never read Acts chapter 12 because what you're about to read is people who prayed and did not believe it was going to happen. And it's almost funny, okay, how it plays out. So let's just look at it, okay? God's answers do not depend upon the strength of our belief. Here we go. When he realized this, that is, that it wasn't a dream, verse 12, and that it was real, like they got out behind the, out of, around the prison and the doors opened and there they are, they're outside and the angel leaves him. Peter says, whoa, this isn't a vision, pinch me, I'm real, like this is happening, okay? He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, that's where John Mark's mom lived. There were many gathered there together who were praying, so there was like a small house church there praying. And we knocked at the door of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Okay, this is hysterical. Okay. Peter is an escaped convict. Okay. He is outside the house, and he just wants to get somewhere to hide. Right? Uh, hey, can someone let me in? Like, 
Like if someone sees, I'm supposed to be executed tomorrow, I'd like to get out of the street. That's Peter. And notice the great faith that those who had been praying for several days nonstop had. They said to her, you are out of your mind. (laughs) But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. He's already died. It's just a ghost out there. Okay. Now, for the life of me, I don't know why they don't go out and talk to his angel. Okay. But here's the thing. They say, we're busy praying. And she said, the, it's already been answered. Right. And I love this. This is, this is so funny. Picture Rhoda. She's a servant lady. She just keeps saying over and over again, he's out there. He's out there. He's out there. No, no, no. You don't know what you're talking about. Yes, he's out there. Who is knocking? Okay. <laughs> Peter's out there saying, uh, guys, I'd like to get in. Right. And when they opened up, they saw him and were amazed. Why are they amazed? Because they think that God isn't going to answer their prayer. They are praying, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's how you and I should pray. You don't have to be this massive Christian with massive faith to ask God. Just ask him. It doesn't depend upon the strength of your belief. These people have been praying for days, and they don't even believe it's him. But motioning to them, his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, tell these things to James. That's James, the brother of Jesus, a different James than the one that's executed, and to the brothers. Wow. There is something about the way we pray. We're going to wrap up this morning. Pastor Scott will lead us in that time in praying for our vacation Bible school workers, and Scott's got that planned, how we're going to pray for that. I just want to tell you, we should ask boldly. Right? You say, well, what am I asking? Ask him anything you want. Ask him for children to get saved. Ask him for workers to j- just suddenly say, wow, I want to do this with the rest of my life. I, I want to share the gospel with the people next door. Ask him for anything you want, but do not not ask him because you say, Uh, He'll never answer my prayer. I got doubts. Doesn't depend upon the strength of our belief. It depends upon God who does the work. Just ask him. Here's the final one. Final one is this. Be assured God will make things right. And we've been moving through these difficulties of an abusive leader, King uh, King Agrippa I, uh, King, King Herod Agrippa I, who who has been really abusive, executing Christians. And I just want to remind you that when you look at that passage in Acts chapter 12, you might have a tendency to say, Phil, what about what happened in verse 3? I'm still bothered by it. So that's the beauty of Acts chapter 12, verse 5. What's happening here, we can kind of guess from the time, is actually several months later, and we know that because um, we actually know the date of of when Herod gives this speech that he gives, and it's several months removed, almost an entire year removed from Passover. So everybody's been waiting, like, like, you know, James died a year ago. Is God going to do anything about that? And here's what we read in Acts chapter 12. I'll pick up the reading there at verse 20. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. In other words, they hadn't submitted, but now they're willing to submit because he's willing to give them their food. Okay. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. Uh, one writer says, this is gold and silver. It's literally going to shine when he steps out into the sunlight. 
He takes his seat upon the throne and he delivered an oration to them. He spoke and the people were shouting the voice of God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Wow. Here's a couple things you need to understand. We need to know that God's gonna make it right in the end. But here's the other thing. Pride causes us to imagine that we're in control, but we're not, okay? Herod thinks that he's in control because this, these two towns, these areas that haven't submitted to him, now all of a sudden submit to him because he holds their food bag, he holds the lunch bag. He, he thinks that they're gonna follow, but they're not, okay? Um, they are gonna follow, and so he thinks he's in control. The point is this. He's not even in control of his own life, God's going to strike him in that moment. If you think that because of something you did, something happened, I just want to remind you, you and I are instruments in God's hand. We are not God, and we're not his hand. Okay? We're just instruments. Pride causes us to imagine that we're in control, and we're not. And we find that in the text, again, because right there, there it is, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's food, and so all of a sudden, that whole thing kind of unpacks, right? Here's the second idea. Pride causes us to think we can avoid God's discipline, but we can't, right? God disciplines Herod, not only for his pride, but for what he did in his pride to attack James, the brother of John, and have him executed early on in this story. It's unique the way that Luke combines it. It's not chronological, really. It feels like it just happened, but it's, there's months that have passed. It's almost like Luke says, hey, I want you to see something. When Herod died, there was a reason he died, because God was going to make it right. By the way, let me help you see this chronology real quick. There's three Herods that we talk about in the New Testament times. Herod the Great, right? Herod the Great is the King Herod, the one who attempts to kill Jesus when he's born, um, he has a son, and he kills that. He's got several sons, but he kills one of those sons. He kills the son who is the father of Herod Agrippa um, because he doesn't trust him. Like, the Herods weren't got good guys, okay? okay? Herod Agrippa goes off to Rome and spends some time in Rome. Actually, is imprisoned in Rome for a short time before he comes back, and I'll catch that for you in a second. But here's the idea. Um, he develops a relationship with Rome. By the way, the Herods... Um, which were semi-kind of Jewish but weren't fully, were, were, were serving in Israel even though it was under Roman occupation because they kind of cut a deal with, with Rome. They, remember how leadership is corrupt? They kind of paid to get the right to rule and Rome kind of looked the other way and let the Herods do what they wanted to do. So if you ever wanted to complain about leadership, you could have complained then. It was a mess. Right? But God made it right, didn't he? Pride causes us to think we can avoid God's discipline, but we cannot. The text says in Acts chapter 12 that immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Now, notice this, that uh, it's, it feels like in the text that he died right there and the worms just start to eat his body like something out of, a, I don't know, an Indiana Jones movie or something, right? Okay, but that's not really how it happens. In fact, Josephus said later, uh, church histori- the, the, the Jewish historian said that what happened was that uh, clearly he was struck and probably fell down, but that the worms took five days 
to eat him, and he suffered greatly in that process. And there's a story told, Josephus tells it anyhow, whether it's accurate or not, was that when Herod Agrippa was in prison in Rome for a while, that he had a vision of an owl, and the owl was testimony that he would be released from prison. But the legend went like this, that if you ever see the owl again, it means you're going to die, and it's going to take you five days to die. And so that's why some believe that what happened is he suffered greatly for those five days. I don't know how it happened. I just know that God said, I was going to make it right. If there is something in your life where you say, Phil, you have no idea what happened to me in my past. That's why I'm bitter. That's why I'm angry. That's why why I struggle with these issues. I just want to remind you, there is hope in the fact that a perfect judge, a perfect God will find a way to make that right. He's not looking the other way with evil. He may not do it in your time frame, okay? But people who have done things wrong and never repent, they're not getting off the hook, right? That's clearly not the case with Herod. By the way, remember how I said the, the, this idea that uh, God is still in control even when difficulties arise? All of these difficulties, all that happens, Herod's death at the end, Look at how Acts 12, 24 ends this chapter. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The gospel continues to go out. It just continues to go out. It it just continues to multiply. It doesn't just get added. It's like multiplication. Other people are sharing and other people are sharing and other people are sharing. It's spreading, it's spreading, it's spreading. It's beautiful. Why? Because God is still in control even when your difficulties arise. This is a message of hope for you. I cannot promise you that your difficulties will go away. You can maybe go to hear somebody who would tell you that, but that's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is not that our difficulties go away the moment we trust Christ, but rather that he walks alongside of us as as brothers and sisters when we have trusted Christ. God is still in control even when difficulties arise. Will you bow your head with me as we wrap up our time together this morning? I'm going to ask you to do something this morning, if you would, just as kind of we wrap this up before I close in prayer. If you'd be willing to just raise your hand, everybody's got their head bowed so it doesn't, nobody will see it, and just say, Phil, there's a difficulty in my life I'd appreciate prayer for. That's all I'm asking. Just put your hand up and so I can pray for you. Yeah, great. Lots of hands. I want to pray specifically that you will know that God is in control. Not simply that the difficulty will get easier, but you will begin to see providentially how God is in control. Father, it's been a privilege to look at your word this morning, and I pray for the dear people that raised their hands and others maybe who didn't. I pray, Lord, that you will... Give them visible ways this week, a conversation or a passage when they open their Bible that they see where they will, be, they, can, they will be able to reaffirm that though they may be questioning, though they may have doubts, that they will know that you are in control. And Lord, that you're walking with them through the difficulty, that you are comforting them in the difficulty, that your Holy Spirit is giving them wisdom May it just be a word, may it be a phone call, may it be something, some way that they would know, just like Peter, that you acted on their behalf. Lord, we do pray uh, 
that we will continue to trust you in the world in which we live, which is troubled, which is difficult, which is filled with corruption. But we will not lose hope. Rather, our confidence will be that you hold the heart of the king in your hand and you run it through your hand like rivers of water. In Jesus' name. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.